knowing that we live in Colorado and not the south or the southern parts of the west, I reckon most people don't use the word reckon very often and therefore might not know its meaning. Reckon means this. It has several definitions depending on which, whether it's uh, a verb, uh, a transitive verb, whatever it would be. So uh, reckon to conclude as by an enumeration and balancing. Hence, to think, to suppose. So when I read that definition, there's a movie scene that just popped in my head. And so we're going to show that scene. It's a scene from the Coen Brothers movie, uh, Raisin Arizona. Perfect depiction of this aspect of reckoning that I just read. We're going to have to start it over because we've got to have volume for the whole thing or we miss the whole thing. Everybody freeze. Everybody down on the ground. Well, which is it, young feller? You want I should freeze or get down on the ground? I mean to say, if I freeze, I can't rightly drop. And if I drop, I'm going to be in motion. You see? Shut up! Okay, then. <laughs> I reckon. I enumerate and I balance and hence I suppose. Uh, as an intransitive verb, reckon means to settle accounts. This is what a reckoning is, a settling of accounts. Now, I thought of another movie scene from Tombstone, the, uh, where they're, they're, there's the reckoning near the river, but the language wasn't appropriate for church. So we're not showing that scene. A reckoning. A settling of accounts. And the final definition I'll read is this. And I have a graphic for it. To determine by reference to a fixed basis or foundation. Reckon. To determine by reference to a fixed basis or foundation. The title of today's message is Reckon with the Cross. In context to what I'm sharing, all these definitions line up, but the one that, that I like the most is that last one. See, the cross of Christ, that's our fixed foundation. That's the basis with, of which we, we cling to and we reckon and we balance and we come to determination. Through that fixed foundation of the empty cross of Christ, the vacant cross. Romans 8.18 says this in the King James, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And they use the word reckon, so that must be from like southern Israel. The fixed foundation by which we determine our life, the cross of Christ, the rock of our salvation, 
Jesus Christ. In our church's name, Impact Rock, we are called to make an impact and we cling to the rock. We grab tightly to the rock. We are not shaken because we are determined of who the person of Jesus is and he is our rock. Please turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to Luke chapter 9. We'll, we'll be there for, the, for our, our message today. I want to read, start in verse 18. And I, I love this verse, and I'll, I'll emphasize it and I'll unpack it. But Luke 9, 18. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Everyone say, pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked him, who do people say I am? I love this verse because it's further proof that Jesus did not find people burdensome. He didn't find people bothersome. And he could be alone with his father. He could be alone in the presence of his father while still being with other people. You guys, I love the opportunities to get to the mountains or to get somewhere beautiful, to get somewhere by the side of a stream and get alone with God. But I'm letting you know, as we worship today in this place with other people, we're alone with him. We're alone in his presence. Everything else can just fade into the distance. But I, I love that he came to pray alone, but he had others with him. Who do people say I am? That's what he asked them. Who do people say I am? Verse 19. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say that you're one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do y'all say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter replied, you? You're the Messiah sent from God. Today I want to make a few points about properly recognizing Jesus. Properly recognizing him and declaring him and receiving him. Point number one, and I'll repeat this because it's kind of wordy. An indefinite or unclear admiration for Jesus is grossly inadequate. Just a mere admiration of Jesus is grossly inadequate. It's not enough. As we see in verse 18, Jesus asks, what are the opinions of the common folk? What are the, what are the opinions of the everyday people concerning himself? And they're like, oh, you know, some think you're John the Baptist. Oh, some uh, thought you were Elijah or one of the prophets. It seems like for the most part, people admired him. Those are good people to be related to. Those are good people to be connected with. Those are admirable people to be associated with. But Admirable, yes. Truthful and appropriate, no. He was so much better. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, so much better than one of the prophets. So much better than just a good teacher. They admired him, yes, much like we do today. And, and a lot of times I think we group Jesus in with a, with a group of other admirable people, like Mother Teresa or Gandhi or Captain America or Yoda, 
you know, good people. Admirable people. Wise people. Our admiration's not enough. Not in recognizing Jesus. Our admiration is not enough because admiration doesn't save. Not one person's ever been saved by admiration of Jesus. Should we admire Jesus? Absolutely. Without a doubt. A more admirable person has never walked the earth. Should we admire him? Absolutely. But again, admiration doesn't save us. Point number two. As true disciples of Jesus, we must come to a greater all-in Conviction about him. All in. As true disciples of Jesus, we must come to a greater all-in conviction about him. Caleb, would you hand me a tissue, please? Jesus asks all of the disciples what they believe. What they believe. Who do you say I am? I, I believe that Peter showed leadership here and he probably replies for all of them, but he did show leadership and he's the one that spoke. The disciples had come to know Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. They had come to know Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the fully man, fully God, Savior of the world, who would fulfill that, that aspect of the prophecy. There were predictions in the Old Testament saying that God's coming Savior would be specially empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this work of saving the world. And it was for this reason that, that the coming Savior would be known as the Messiah the Christ, the anointed one, and, and Peter speaking up and most likely representing what the other disciples were believing said, this is who you are. This is who you are. You're Savior of the world. You're Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the only one by which the world, Israel and the world, can be saved. When we come to that revelation, how do you do anything but go all in? I'm serious. When we come to the belief in that, how do we do anything else but go all in and say, I will be a follower of you? Verse 21. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. That's his response to, after Jesus said, you're, you're the Messiah. He said, don't tell anybody. Because when, when word gets out, I'm going to suffer much, 
I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be killed. Now, I'm going to rise on the third day, but don't tell anybody yet. It's not yet time. Sit tight on that. Verse 23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your daily cross, or you must take up your cross daily, and you must follow me. Point number three. Our faith must reckon with the cross of Christ. Jesus takes his disciples aside and he tells them, the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must suffer much. This is hard for them to take. It was hard for them to believe. I think it was one of the, we see in Scripture, it's one of the things they shook off, that they poo-pooed or they took lightly. He said it again and again, the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must die. The Son of Man will be betrayed. They couldn't reconcile that. They couldn't reconcile that. The Son of Man, you know, the Son of God must come in glory. Yeah, that's easy to reconcile. But the Son of Man must suffer. That's hard. The Messiah coming in glory and the Messiah suffering shamefully are extremely different. And it may be hard for us to even reconcile today. These contrasting truths are hard for us to reckon with. You see, it's not just us reckoning with the cross in the life of Jesus. But we have to reckon the suffering of the daily cross in our own lives. And that's hard for us to reckon with. Wait, wait, wait. Go back to the glory part. We're talking about me now, right? We've transitioned away from Jesus. We've we've transitioned away from the cross of Christ. And now we're talking about me and my daily Christ. I just want to stick to the glory part. I just want to stick to the honorable part, the fun part, the parts where I get elevated a little or a lot because I'm a good soldier for the Lord. I don't want to reckon with the suffering. Too big of a contrast for me. Too, Too great of a difference for me. I can't reconcile that. Jesus says... If you wish to get glory and honor by following me, there are three things you got to do. Number one, you got to deny yourself. Preacher, I don't like that. I don't like that. There's times I don't like it either. It's what Jesus said, not me. Number one, we got to deny ourselves. Number two, we got to take up the cross. Daily, and then he says, and then, and then, follow me. Denying ourselves is a matter of denying our own instinctive sinfulness. I don't got to think about being sinful. It just comes naturally. It just comes naturally. Don't believe me? Cut me off later today. It just comes naturally. You don't believe me? 
like insult one of the women in my life. The flesh comes naturally. But what I'm told as a follower of Christ is I've got to deny that thing that comes instinctually. I've got to deny it. See, if it doesn't bring honor, I deny it. If it doesn't reflect kindness, I deny it. If it doesn't glorify Jesus, I deny it. We don't get to have our favorite sins. We don't. Okay, between you and me, no one else is listening. What's your favorite sin? What's your favorite thing that you refuse to give to Jesus? Because it's your favorite. Because it defines you or it feels good. What's, What's your favorite sin? What's the thing we refuse to say, Jesus, I give this to you. I refuse to deny myself and to take up this cross. We're not allowed, we're not given the liberty of having our favorite sin. Not to be a follower of Jesus. I don't like suffering. I don't like self-denial. And if we're honest, we all kind of like being selfish. We like our way. And I'm trying to make a point abundantly here. Too often we like our sin. And we don't bring it before the Lord. We must say no to our resisting and sinful nature with its desires. And I'm telling you guys right now, this is 110% countercultural right now. Because that is not what culture tells us. Culture says you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. You can act however you want. You don't got to respect nobody. You don't have to respect God. You don't have to respect women. You don't have to respect the elderly. You don't have to respect the flag. You don't have to respect leaders. You don't have to respect one another. You don't got to respect nobody. That is bull. That is bull. That's what culture says, and it is bull. Because our God, our Jesus, our Savior, was honoring. He was honoring. He he outdid everyone in showing honor to the point that later in Scripture we're told, outdo one another in showing honor. Why why did Paul say that later on? Because he saw it from Jesus. He was with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus after his revelation of who Jesus was. And he saw, man, this guy looks at me with eyes that have never looked at me. He looks at me with purpose. He doesn't see my past. He doesn't see the way I persecuted others. He doesn't see the way I dishonored others. He doesn't see the way that I brought pain to others. All he sees is a new creation. He says, friends, we should outdo one another just as Christ did. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 
since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. little part of my story, I was a football player. That's what defined me. I played football in high school, and I was good at it, and I was honored for it. And I played football in college, and I, and I worked my butt off by walking onto a, a, a huge program. And I made the team, and I was honored for it. And I had to walk away from football because my identity was wrapped up in football. My self-worth was wrapped up in football. How I wanted to be recognized was wrapped up in football. And when I rededicated my life to Christ, I knew at this point in my life, I'm an immature man and I can't do both. So Jesus, I choose you. And I walked away from football. And I love football. You can't go 27 and a half minutes hanging out with me without some sort of football reference. Start the clock. Start the clock. That thing that you want to be defined by? Do you want to be defined by it more than you want to be defined by Christ? I want to be defined as a successful entrepreneur. Do you want that more than you want to be defined as a child of God? I want to be defined as a rebel. I don't take crap from nobody. That's how you want to be defined? That's what you want your legacy to be? What is your cross? What is your cross that you must take up daily? Let me ask you this. When Jesus spoke this to his disciples, had he been, had he been crucified yet? I'm shaking my head no because I don't want to like, I'm, it's not a trick question. No, he hadn't. When Jesus asked this question, or not asked this question, he gave this instruction, he gave this command, he hadn't been crucified yet. So when the disciples hear this, what, what are they thinking about? What comes to mind? What does the cross represent? Political torture. Shameful death. Shameful, shameful death because you got caught doing something wrong. Public humiliation. They didn't, have, they didn't have a point of reference of resurrection, right? Jesus hadn't died on it yet. Jesus wasn't in that tomb and on the third day emerged alive. So they didn't associate the cross with resurrection. See, for us, we go, oh, it's a vacant cross. He's risen. For them, it was death. And he says, pick up your death. Deny yourself. We can't forget the deny yourself. I'll repeat it every time. Deny yourself. Pick up your death. Pick up your humiliation. Pick up your shame. Every day. And follow me. Why? Why does he say that? That's heavy. Why does he say that? That's repetitiously heavy. Because if we don't carry it to him, then we can't nail it on the cross of Christ. 
We can't nail the passions and the sins and the shame and the humiliation and the political torture and all that. We can't nail it to the cross of Christ and receive his freedom. Shortly after this, he died on that cross. And they were mortified. They ran, they scattered, they denied. It's funny, he says, deny yourself, but they denied him, every one of them. They denied him. He says, deny ourselves. And I'll pose this, either we deny ourselves or we deny him. And he died on that cross. And he was taken off that cross and his dead body was on the ground and then it was wrapped and then it was buried. He died. And then on the third day, he conquered death. He emerged from that tomb victorious and he is risen and he is alive today. He never died again. He's alive. And he says, it is finished. And he sits triumphantly at the right hand of the Father. For us, the cross We see it and we see resurrection life. We see resurrection. We see the life that we can have in Christ Jesus if what? If we'll follow him. But he never, it wasn't a temporary set of instructions. We still have to deny ourselves. Why? Because it doesn't look like Jesus and we're supposed to look like Jesus. Because it doesn't glorify Jesus and our lives are supposed to glorify Jesus. Because sin is death. It's still death. And, and God wants us to walk in abundance in life. Can you take a second just right? And I'm not going to rattle off sins. I want you to think about your most shameful sin. Would you, would you Just think about it for a second. Think about it. The most shameful thing you've done. Everybody got it in their minds? It's heavy, right? It's heavy. If you had to carry that every day, how heavy would that be? Heavy. Unbearable. Unbearable. We don't. In following Christ, we carry it to him, even when the enemy reminds us of it and says, oh, you're no good, you did this and this and this. We say, Satan, you're a liar. We we carry it to Jesus. We say, Jesus, remind me again of who I am. Remind me again that I'm forgiven. Remind me again that I'm redeemed. Remind me again that I am washed clean as white as snow. Remind me again that my sin is so far separated from me as the east is from the west. Jesus, remind me again. But there's sometimes we we need, in following him, we have to say, remind me again what you did for me. And remind me again who I am because of it. And then he reminds us and we go, yes, that's what defines me. That's what defines me. You, Jesus, you define me. Your completed work defines me. Your salvation defines me. I'm just telling you right now, the cross, it's synonymous with sacrifice. 
it's synonymous with pain, carrying the cross, denying ourselves and carrying the cross. There's going to be pain associated. It's going to hurt. We're not perfect. I'm not saying we're supposed to be perfect. We just don't get to have a favorite sin. We don't get to have little white lies or little white anything that's sin. We don't get to say, hey, uh, adultery is bad, but gossip, that's all right. We don't get to do that. We don't get to say, well, no one else knows about this. We don't get to have secret sins. We bring it to the light. Uh, well, this isn't hurting anybody. That's not true. All death, all sin leads to death. We're not supposed to walk around with death. We're not supposed to walk around with the heaviness of shame and hoping that someday somebody doesn't find out our secret sin. It's death. It's death. Jesus said, deny yourself, carry it to me, and follow me. Verse 23, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? What does, it gain, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Just so you know, we're not talking about salvation right there. We're talking about walking in death or walking in life right here on this earth. What does it Benefit you to gain everything, to gain all these things, to gain notoriety and recognition and getting your way. Forget self-denial, whatever you want. What does it gain us to get all those things and lose our peace of mind and lose our awareness of the presence of God in our lives and lose strength and confidence in walking in Him, not in ourselves? To lose your soul, to lose your mind, your your emotions, your emotional well-being, to, to lose the benefit of your will. I'll say this right now. If everyone has a master, and I know we, we don't like that phrase, I don't care. Everyone has a master, and that master is either completely righteous or completely undependable and wicked. And the master is either Jesus Christ or it's ourself. If I'm my master, that master is undependable, that master is, if I'm calling the shots, if I'm the one that's in control, I'm in a heap of trouble, I reckon. But when I surrender my will to Christ, when I say, not my will, but your will be done, when I say, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed and honored should be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. Number four, and the last point. 
Self-denial and crucifixion is the only way to gain life. Please note that I did not say salvation. I didn't say it's the only way to to gain salvation. Jesus was talking about life and life abundance in following him, in denying self and following him. And he says, I just read it, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The only way to have life is to give up your life. That's what he says. His words, not mine. But I totally agree with it. Jesus still has these issues. um, Self-denial, crucifixion. He still has these issues in mind. When he says this, if you try and grasp and hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. I, I like being in control. It doesn't stink. I find a certain measure of security in it. I'm right a whole lot. I'm, I'm being honest. I like being in control. Not at the expense of Jesus being wrong, though. I want him to be right. And for him to be right in my life, I have to relinquish control to him. Because he's always right. There's always peace. There's always security. He's a hundred. His batting average is a thousand. His passing completion is a hundred percent. And you can't have it both ways. Kim, you can't be in control and Jesus also be in control. Abby, you can't be in control and Jesus still be in control. Don, wise guy, you can't be in control and both you and Jesus be in control. There has to be him behind the wheel, him calling the shots. Imagine Jesus saying this, Now, with you being in control, insert your name, with you being in control and you calling the shots in your life, with you denying yourself of nothing, getting whatever you want, pursuing whatever you want, enjoying whatever you want, you'll gain some pretty great stuff and you'll have some fun. You will. You'll have some successes. The recognition you receive will feel good. You'll have fun. There's a lot of fun to be found in sin. You'll have some fun. Being selfish is fun for a season. Making yourself the master of your life will allow you to have some fun, no doubt. But you'll lose so much. It's a horrible exchange. It's not a fair exchange. You'll lose in that exchange. You can gain the world but lose your peace of mind. You can gain the world, but you'll grow numb to my presence. You can gain the world and not have joy. You can yield your will to an unjust and an 
selfish master yourself and it won't bring life. So don't cling to that. Don't try and create this life for you. Trust me. Give your life to me. Let me define your life. In my preparation this week, one of the things that I purposed in my heart to do was to be redundant. To be redundant. To drive points home clearly. Friends, it's better to lose a few fleshy comforts and gain the life which is life indeed. It's better to acknowledge Jesus now to be unacknowledged by Jesus later. Verse 25. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. It's an odd dichotomy, isn't it? It's, it's an odd contrast. Glory and suffering. the glorious Messiah and the suffering Son of Man. And it's odd for us too. In Jesus saying, hear these words, in Jesus saying, if you'll deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. What he's saying is, you can trust me. I know suffering is something you run from, but you don't have to. That's the picking up the cross daily. He's like, you don't have to run from suffering. I'll, I'll, I'll use it. I'll use it. You're going to suffer. As, as followers of Christ, we're going to suffer. I need to make that abundantly clear. You're going to experience suffering. I'm going to experience suffering says it will lead to glory if you're doing it for my sake if you'll trust me it may feel like death but I promise you it'll it'll lead to life life and life abundant right here right now right in this place and then he says if you're ever embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading you then I'll be embarrassed by you Father in heaven. The key thing there is are you embarrassed by the way he's leading you? Does the way he leads you, the requirements he asks of us, does that embarrass us? So I can't be the strong one. I'm used to being the strong one. I don't like not being the strong one. He's like, I'm the strong one. You can't be the strong one. We both can't be the strong one. Either I'm the strong one or you're the strong one is what Jesus says, but we can't be both because I'm the strong one. I still, I'm like, I got three minutes to be redundant. We don't get, as followers of Jesus, to be selfish. 
don't get to follow the master of this world or this culture or the things that are the garbage that's laid out before us. I love that after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples saw that cross and they said, Oh. Oh. I get it now. I get it now. I bring everything to Him. I bring my sin to Him. I bring my shame to Him. He's not asked me to, to, to carry it around and to remind me of it. He's asked me to bring it to Him. So that as in following, I'm not carrying the heaviness of that. Let's end on a high note, shall we? Repentance. Metanoia is the word. Meta meaning change. Noia meaning thoughts. We get to change our minds. We get to repent and say, Jesus, I was doing this. Jesus, I had this secret sin. Jesus, I had this pattern of destruction in my life. Jesus, I had this rebellion. Jesus, I had this pride. Jesus, I had this and I change my mind and I change my thinking about it and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do what you say even if it hurts me, even if it pains me, even if I'm grossly uncomfortable with it because Lord, I don't just admire you, I believe in you. I don't just recognize you as good, I recognize you as God. So I change my mind which always leads to a change of what? Actions which always leads to a change of heart. give you the reins. I give you the wheel. I give you the ball. I give you my all. Have your way. I love repentance. It's the best way to let go of the garbage I was carrying. To repent and give it to Him and nail it to the cross. I love love what Debbie's playing right now. The cross has the final word. Jesus has the final word. Can Can we close our eyes? this point right now, I'm wanting to encourage dialogue with the Lord. He's asking for a response from you. I'm not asking for a response from you. Jesus is. Just listen. Listen. What's he prompting upon your heart right now? What area does he want you to trust him with? What area does he want you to repent of? What area does he want you to deny yourself in and bring to him follow him where you're going where he's leading you to you don't need it you don't need those heavy things you don't need sin you don't need shame you don't need bondage and you don't need someone else's definition of who you are let him define you Lord Jesus as we dialogue with you right now I pray that everything that would numb our ears and our hearts from hearing from you would just be taken away so that we could receive from you and hear from you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that's quick to repent, quick to change our minds and our actions and and let you just change our heart, Lord God. We bring our heart before you. We say, change our heart, Lord. Purify our heart, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
with all eyes closed, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, if there's anyone here that's never said, Lord, I make you, Jesus, I make you Lord and Savior. I, I allow you to be the Savior, and I recognize that you're the only one by which I might be saved, but I also make you Lord. I believe that you're God, therefore I can't still be the one in control. So I give you my life, and I want you to have your way. If you've never done that, would you just lock eyes with me right now? Would you like raise your hand, lock eyes with me, and say, I am doing that right now, and make it obvious. Is there anyone? I, I didn't see any response, and if I missed a response... I apologize. Come see me after the service so we can pray together. If there's anyone that's listening to this message on on our YouTube channel or on Facebook and you just made that decision to trust in Christ, would you email us? Contact at impactrock.com. That goes to our entire pastoral team and we will reply to you. Leave your number. We'll call you. We'll pray with you. We'll link arms with you. We'll send you a Bible. Whatever it takes to, to do life with you and to, to walk towards Christ together. We can open our eyes. I'm passionate about Jesus and I'm passionate about this message. And I'm passionate about the vacant cross of Christ. And so if I came across as intense, it's because I was intense. But if I came across as angry in any way, I wasn't. Just passionate about my Jesus, about our Lord. If you need prayer for anything at the end of the service, come on up. We have people that, that will be up here that love praying with folks and would love to pray with you. So just come on up after the service, and I'll leave us with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. Love you guys. Jesus loves you more.